0: Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 4. I saw that all labor and all skillful work is due to man's jealousy of his friend. This too is futile in a pursuit of the wind. The fool folds his arms and consumes his own flesh. Better one handful with rest than two handfuls with effort in a pursuit of the wind. Again, I saw futility under the sun, there is a person without a companion, without even a son or brother, and though there is no end to all his struggles, his eyes are still not content with, his, with riches. So who am I struggling for, he asks, and depriving myself from good? This too is futile and a miserable task. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up but pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm, but how can one person alone keep warm? And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Better is a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer pays attention to warnings. For he came from prison to be king, even though he was born poor in his kingdom. I saw all the living who move about under the sun follow a second youth who succeeds him. There is no limit to all the people who were before them, yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. This too is futile in a pursuit of the wind.
1: Our second reading is in chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes, starting at verse 8 to the end of the chapter. If you see oppression of the poor and perversion of justice and righteousness in the province, don't be astonished at the situation, because one official protects another official and higher officials protect them. The profit from the land is taken by all. The king is served by the field. The one who loves money is never satisfied with money, and whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. This too is futile. When good things increase, the ones who consume them multiply. What then is the profit to the owner except to gaze at them with his eyes? The sleep of the worker is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich permits him no sleep. There is a sickening tragedy I have seen under the sun Wealth kept by its owner to his harm That wealth was lost in a bad venture So when he fathered a son he was empty handed As he came from his mother's womb So he'll go again naked as he came He'll take nothing for his efforts that he can carry in his hands This too is a sickening tragedy Exactly as he comes so he will go What does the one gain who struggles for the wind? What is more, he eats in darkness all his days with much sorrow, sickness and anger. Here is what I have seen to be good. It is appropriate to eat, drink and experience good in all the labour one does under the sun during the few days of his life God has given him because that is his reward. Furthermore, every man to whom God has given riches and wealth He has also allowed him to enjoy them, take his reward, and rejoice in his labour. This is a gift of God, for he does not often consider the days of his life, because God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
2: G'day. My name is James, one of the pastors here. Uh, This week, I hit a milestone. I celebrated my 10-year anniversary on being on Facebook. (laughs) Yes. 10 years. It's been a while. I was alerted to the fact that I had this monumental event uh, by Facebook itself. It sent me a video. So I got a cup of coffee. I sat down. I thought this was going to be great. Ten years of memories. So I sat down and watched it. You know how many, video, uh, you know how many pictures they showed me? Three. Uh, and they were terrible pictures. After ten years of sharing, liking, posting and poking, three miserable photos. That's it. And I thought, come on. And I had this, uh, this feeling that, I don't know if have you've have you been feeling when we've been looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, where you think something is going to be great. You think this is going to be it. it. This is going to change things. Then you get it and you think, I thought it would be more than this. The teacher in the book of Ecclesiastes, this book in the Bible, has been over the last couple of weeks, lifting up the foundations of our lives, the things we run to for security, meaning, and purpose. And he lifts them up and exposes them to be empty. and so unfulfilling. And tonight is no exception. Tonight, the teacher in the book of Ecclesiastes is going to brutally expose this topic of money. It's going to be a heavy one tonight, but I think it's going to be helpful. So let's pray to that end. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this book of Ecclesiastes, this ancient but yet so modern book and the way it is so refreshingly real about life. I ask that as we expose to it, that we would not shy away, that we would not ignore it, but that we would understand the world we live in, how often we respond to it and how much we need you. Amen. Um, a number of years ago, uh, the uh, economic editor of the Sydney Morning Herald, Ross Gittins, wrote an article called We Worship Materialism at Our Peril. And he said this, There is a contradiction at the heart of the way we organise our lives. Ask people, what's the most important thing in their lives? And very few will answer, making money and getting rich. Almost everyone will tell you it's their human relationships that matter most. And yet, much of the time, that's not the way we behave. See, in all cultures, but especially ours, money dominates. It drives us, it motivates us, it influences us. And what, what Ross Giddens is saying is so true. We, we value human relationships, but there is a truckload of evidence to show that money really is the core of what we're on about. And the teacher dissects this love of ours wide open and introduces us to five common responses to money. I wonder which one you identify with. The first is the comparer. Have a look with me in, in chapter 4, verse 4, On page 609. The teacher says this, I saw that all labor and all skillful work is due to a man's jealousy of his friend. This too is futile and a pursuit of the wind. See, when the teacher looks around, he sees people working hard, working late. And he says, Why? because they want what other people have. They might be thinking that's a bit of an exaggeration, but I tell you, it's not far from the truth. You know, we might wrap it up with, well, she's ambitious, he's a hard worker, she's a high achiever. But scratch beneath the surface, and this is longing to have what you don't have, to, to be like those around you. And it's interesting. We often compare ourselves to those who are around us, like a sibling, some, a work colleague who's in the same uh, level as you, someone in the same standard, uh, same suburb, it's interesting, uh, my first job uh, when I was young was breeding and selling budgerigars. It was a good job. Uh, you get five bucks for a budgie, or 20 bucks if they were hand-raised. So, you know, that was good. But, uh, and so th- this is my first job. And I enjoyed it, slightly. Uh, but one of the main reasons why I did it was because I got the money, so then I could buy brand name clothing. And my first shirt, I remember it, it was a billabong black t-shirt. And I wore it to my first mufti day, to the mufti day. And I I thought, wow, this is it. This is going to change things. I walked in there, chest out, you know, emphasizing the billabong. And you know what people said? Nothing. No one commented. No one said anything. Nothing. But did that stop me? No, no, no. I went back, read some more budgies, got some more money, and then I could buy the new thing, Ray-Ban shoes, and thought, people are going to know. Did anyone notice? No. The problem with jealousy, the problem with trying to be like everyone else is it's never, ever satisfied. Jealousy never says, you know what? I'm done. I'm full. I've had enough. Always wants more. The teacher is saying, This desire to outshine or not to be outshone, it never goes away, and it is a chasing of the wind. The second response to money is the loaner. Have a look in verse 8 with me. There is a person without a companion, without even a son or brother, and though there is no end to all his struggles, his eyes are still not content with riches. So who am I struggling for, he asks, and depriving myself from good, this too is futile and a miserable task. See, money often encourages us to make sacrifices, and often those sacrifices are other people, human relationships. Notice it says, without even a son or brother, that there's no one to uh, get his inheritance, that he is alone currently and generationally. But to be honest, it doesn't really matter if he had a family or not because it, would, it wouldn't change the thing. He is wedded to his work. He would ignore the people around him regardless because what is driving this kind of person is still not content with riches, just that bit more, just that bit of extra work, just a few more hours. And we might wrap it up in sort of virtuous reasons, you know, I say, well, I'm working hard so my kids can have a good education. I'm working hard to make my parents proud. I'm working hard because I'm good at what I do. But if the core of who you are, your core ambition is to make more money, then it will dehumanize you. Because you will make small choices, bit by bit. If you're married, to spend more time in the office than with your spouse. If you're single, spending more time uh, away from friends than with friends and thinking it doesn't really matter, they'll understand. If you have kids, you spend more time thinking, oh, I just pay, give them toys or that kind of thing in replacement of you. Bit by bit. And if you go down that miserable road, it'll end in loneliness. Freddie Mercury, the lead singer of Queen, experienced this, and this is what he said. Sometimes I wake up in a cold sweat, screaming with fear because I'm so alone. Although I have what many people want fame, fortune, and success. I am lonely. This is a bitter loneliness. It can only be sold by having a totally loving, permanent and ongoing relationship. See, hopefully you'll have a wake-up call like the teacher did in verse 8. He says, who am I struggling for and depriving myself from good? Hopefully you have that now and not when it's too late when you're in deathbed by yourself. Or if there are people around you, they're just there because they want your money. If getting more riches is at the core of who you are, it is a lonely and miserable road. The third response is the popular one. The king tells a story, but it was a sort of a rag to riches kind of king. In verse thirteen, better is a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer pays attention to warnings, for he came from prison to be king, even though he was born poor in his kingdom. I saw all the living who move about under the sun follow a second youth who succeeds him. There is no limit to all the people who were before them, yet those who come after, come later, will not rejoice in him. This too is futile and a pursuit of the wind. That no ma- What he's saying there is no matter how important you are, how popular you are, how prominent you are, there will always be someone to take your place. I hope you know that. And we see this with musicians and, and actors, Right? where we think, we love you, we love you, we love you, all of a sudden, next. I mean, I was thinking the other day, where are S Club 7? You know, where are the Venger boys? You know, where are 5, you know? I have a safe place in which I can share them, but like, you know, I used to like those bands, truth be told, but where are they now? I remember my, uh, someone asking my cousin, he said, you know who uh, Elvis is? He said, oh yeah, I know who Elvis is. That's the helicopter that drops water on fires. One minute famous, the next forgotten. But you don't have to have your face on a front cover of a magazine to know what this is like. I mean, you could be an expert in your field. You could be the top of your career. People go to you for advice. But there will come a time when they won't. When you'll be forgotten. When no one will know who you are. The king, the problem with this king is he What does it say? No longer pays attention to warnings. He blocks his ears, ignoring the fact that, to the reality that everyone's expendable. Let me ask you, are you riding the wave of popularity, of important thinking that will last forever? The fourth response is the exploited. You could be great, savior. you could be diligent with all all your coin, all your money, be a great budgeter, but you can't stop other people trying to take it from you. Have a look at me in chapter 5, verse 8. If you see oppression of the poor and perversion of justice and righteousness in the province, don't be astonished at the situation because one's official protects another official and higher officials protect them. The profit from the land is taken by all, the king is served by the field. See, whether you're in the realm of politics, the stock market, business, the teacher is saying, don't be surprised if you see corruption. If you're trying to get your voice heard in politics, there's going to be corruption there. If you're trying to get a building approved or something approved in council, don't be surprised if there's fraud. If you put your money into sort of a super or to a corporation and you find out there's embezzlement, the teacher is saying, this is is the reality of this world. And because the frustration with money is you can be great with it, you can be a good saver, you can be a good investor, but you can't control the fact that people will try and take it from you. Don't think money will give you security because we rely on the government, the banks, the business, more than we'd like to admit. And in a moment, it could go. The fifth and final response to money is the tragic one. is the tragedy of losing it all, the bankrupt. Have a look in verse 13. There is a sickening tragedy I have seen under the sun teacher says wealth kept by its owner to his harm the wealth was lost in a bad venture so when he fathered a son he was empty-handed as he came from his mother's womb so he will go again naked as he came he will take nothing for his efforts that he can carry in his hand this too is a sickening tragedy so you work hard you work long and then you lose it all some of you know what this is like where that, that bad venture, he mentions. That might be a dodgy deal. That might be you've trusted some money with a friend and they haven't returned it. Might be a GFC, might be losing your job. I don't know what it is, but a bad adventure that goes bad, bad, bad. Well, I, I, we have interesting family friends who experienced that. They declared bankruptcy. And they said this, this feeling of being empty, of guilt, of nothing to pass on, of despair, but what the teacher is saying is that if you've experienced bankruptcy, you've experienced something that we're all going to experience. Because at the end of your life, we're all going to be bankrupt. We're, you can't take anything with you at the end. Naked you came into this world and naked you leave. I did say the teacher was going to be honest about money where he says to us, the more you have, the more you'll want. The more you have, the more you'll want more of. Let me say that again. The more you have, the less you're satisfied. The more you have, the more likely people will take it away from you. The more you have, the more you'll lose at the end. But he does give, the teacher does give two suggestions that are helpful in not making money drive us to madness. Two practical things in which we can do to give perspective when it comes to money. The first is rest. In chapter 4, verse 6, he says this, better one handful with rest than two handfuls with effort and a pursuit of the wind. What are you saying, this hand symbolizes time, right? And if both your hands are full of effort, of trying to earn more, trying to do more, trying to get more, that it's pointless. That you're saying, introduce rest into the mix. One hand for work, one hand for rest. And that will allow a balance, an enjoyment of the work. To enjoy the fruit, the money you've made, and to appreciate it. In chapter 5, verse 18, he says this, Here is what I've seen to be good. It is appropriate to eat and drink and experience good in all labor, one does under the sun, during the few days of his life God has given him. Because that is the reward. If you have rest in your life, moments when you have a holiday, when you go to the beach, when you have a good meal, when you watch a movie, when you read a book, when you have rest in your life, you are able, able to enjoy the work, the money that you have, and that is a good thing. But if both hands are full of effort and work and wanting more money, then that will crush you, maybe even kill you. There's a lady who goes to this uh, church who when she went to a new job, there was a guy there who worked for seven years non-stop. No holiday, m- worked most weekends, overtime, work, work, work. And after seven years, he said, I deserve a holiday. So he went to Hawaii. He lay down on the beach, and then his body shut down and he died. It is not work, then rest. It is rest. While working, it is not two hands full of effort, then two hands full of rest. No, no, no. It is rest and effort together. Rest is important so that you can enjoy, appreciate the money you have made, the effort you've done. The second uh, bit of advice, bit of wisdom the teacher gives is the importance of companionship. Remember that article I mentioned with Ross Gittins? He says human relationships, deep down, are very important to us, right? If not the most important. And the teacher agrees. He says in verse 9 of chapter 4, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person alone keep warm? And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. I was at a wedding not too long ago where this passage was read, and the celebrant said, particularly about the cord of three strands, There are three in this marriage. My sister leaned over and said, Who's the third? I said, I think it's God. Oh, okay, right. But to be honest, I mean, this passage is used at weddings, but I don't think it's really talking about weddings. I don't even think it's talking about God. All he's saying there is people are crucial in your life. Relationships are vital. Whether family, friends, they are a better investment than money. What he's saying there is people are better than money because when hard times come, people will be there for you. Uh, when overall it is better for your health and well-being to invest in people. If you invest in people, then there's a protection there emotionally and physically that people are there for you. But the problem is, right, our love of money often destroys the very best of our relationships. Take, for an example, inheritance. Uh, parents die, and then even a close family. All of a sudden, arguments start coming about, I didn't get this amount, or I wanted more, or we should sell this, no, no, we should keep this. And all of a sudden, fighting and division starts happening, and then they don't speak to each other. Relationships are vital, and yet the love of money destroys the thing that we need. So what do we do? How do you get rid of this love of money? Because you can't replace it with human relationships because it's just so messy, it's just so entangled. It's interesting, the Bible's response. There's a verse in the back of Hebrews which has always confused me. It answers this question, how do you be free of the love of money? But to be honest, I've always been confused by it. Have a look with me in Hebrews 13. It's in the back of your Bibles on page 1108. Hebrews 13, verse 5. I'm confused by it because I don't see how these two things go together. It says this, your life should be free from the love of money, be satisfied with what you have, for he himself, that's Jesus, has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I've been confused by why do, what are those two things got together, what to do together, you know, being free from love, and man, being satisfied, and the fact that Jesus will always be there. I and mean, what's the connection? And to be honest, there's a great theologian, Freddie Mercury, that helped me this week in understanding those two things. As I mentioned earlier, what, what did Freddie say is the solution to bitter loneliness, to this, this fame and fortune and success? He said it's a totally loving, permanent, and ongoing relationship. The problem is we all want that, but we think money will give it to us. We think money will be uh, the stability in our life, the source of happiness, the source of security, and yet it fails, and it fails again and again. But you know what? We go back for more. Because the reality is money at the first available moment will leave and forsake you. And truth be told, at the first available moment when it comes to God, we'll leave him for money. But Jesus, when offered riches beyond our wildest dreams, was offered them by Satan and said, Have this in exchange for us. He said, No, money is not going to ruin this relationship. That he did, he resisted the love of money for our sake. Can I suggest? In order to be free from the love of money, in order to be satisfied, to begin to be satisfied with what we have, can I suggest you replace the love of money for the love of Christ? Hear me out. If you are worried about having the debt in your life, whether it's a credit card debt or a mortgage debt, Jesus comes along, the great teacher, and says, you've got a bigger debt to worry about, the debt of your sin, and you will not be able to pay it in a million years. But you know what? I've paid it for you. You are debt free because of what I did on that cross. For those of you who are worried about being exploited, about cheated, being tricked, Jesus says, I, my dear friend, Judas Iscariot, was sold for 30 pieces of silver and then let out to be executed. I did that. I went underwent oppression so that you can have freedom. For those of us who are worried about being poor, Jesus says, I was rich. And I gave that up and I became poor. You don't get poor, as poor as a man naked on a cross outside Jerusalem. And I did that so you could become rich and have an inheritance that will never spoil, perish or fade. For those of us who are worried about being bankrupt, about losing it all, Jesus said, I intentionally lost it all so that you could have something, a precious and permanent relationship with God. in money we expect it to meet all our needs and despite to- turning to coins and cash again and again jesus says you know what though it's going to cost me a lot i don't want money to ru- ruin this relationship and he went to the cross in order to give us a totally loving permanent and ongoing relationship so when that love of money when that feeling of, I want more, creeps in, Jesus says, remember these words, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. We're going to say together a confession, a call and response confession. For the times in which we have uh, ignored God and his ways and know the assurance that Jesus us. So I'm going to say the first bit, and together we'll say the all bit. Gracious God, we have we come sorry, we have come to see that our lives fall far short of your glory. Have mercy and forgive us. You have given your son for us and poured out your spirit, yet we fail to return your love with all our heart. See and change us. Too often we are selfish and proud, ignoring you, Lord, and neglecting others. Have mercy and cleanse us. When we do not truly trust and obey you, we are overwhelmed by self-pity, fear, and worry. Have mercy and deliver us. In Christ we are given a sure hope and secure love, yet we follow the false hopes and desires of this world. Father, through the redeeming death of your Son, by your Spirit and through your Word, enable us to follow you with joy. All this we ask, confident of your faithfulness and love. Amen.